If you would please, turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 4. We're going to be reading the last portion of uh, James chapter 4, which is verses 13 through 17. Uh, Closing out that chapter, we are fast approaching the end of our time in the book of James and we'll uh, be making a change here in the weeks to come and I'll be announcing it what our next uh, study will be, our next time in the Word will be. But for today, let's focus on James chapter 4 verses 13 through 17. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the Word of God says this, it says, Come now. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Please be seated. Just this last week, uh, Pew Research released the results of a survey detailing what parenting in the United States is like. And as I was going through the survey, for the most part, things were kind of what I expected, you know, as a parent in the U.S., the things that, that they were, questions they were asking and how I would answer it. They mentioned things that one of the leading concerns for parents today is related to their, their children's mental health and, and, and they have a, a concern about uh, anxiety and depression, their concern with bullying in this day and age, and, and just kind of the stuff that you would probably expect but one thing really caught my eye in the survey as part of kind of the headlines and, and all of the things. And, and it pointed out that almost nine out of every ten parents surveyed felt like financial independence was very or extremely important for their child. Along with that, almost nine out of every parents said that um, it was extremely important or at least very important that their kids have a job or a career that they enjoy. When it came to the survey, this far exceeded what anything, anything else that they asked them. Do you think this is important? Do you think this is important? And above all things, the two most clear concerns that parents have for their children today is financial independence and that they have a career that they enjoy and a career that they can stick with for a long period of time. Now, this may not sound that interesting, but... In contrast, to give you a little contrast to that, only about two in every ten parents have any concern that their children ever get married or have children. So it is overwhelmingly in the forefront of our mind as parents today that our kids have a career are successful, and are financially independent. And what what I found really interesting about that is, is I think that that very much so carries over into our parenting. I mean, think about it for just a second. If your biggest concern for your kid is that they have a good job, that they're financially independent, and that they're able to take care of themselves in the future, how are you going to raise that kid? Well, you're going to raise them in a certain way. You're going to say things like, do well in school. 
Make sure that you're prioritizing the, the, your schooling and your coursework and all that stuff because you want to what? You want to do well in school so that you can go to a good college. We'll, go, we'll say trade school or a good trade school. And we want you to do well in college so that you can get a good job. We say these things, don't we? We, we want them to find a field or a profession that they enjoy, that they're passionate about. We let our kids do every club in the world and do all sorts of things so that they can find their calling. We, we encourage, you know, anything that they become into, whether it's, it's dinosaurs or, or makeup or whatever it is, we're always encouraging them to think, well, maybe they'll find a career in it. First, and I'm guilty of this myself. My daughter loves animals. Is, is it just head over heels for animals and taking care of animals at one point? And we were like, maybe she can be a zookeeper somewhere. For a long while, the two course tracks that, that my daughter had was zookeeper or taco maker. And, it, and we're, we were good with either one of those. We tell our kids to work hard and to make sure that in everything they do, they work hard. And that they give their absolute best. We tell them to make a plan to be successful so much so that I know some of our kids had a meeting as they are going into their freshman year to literally decide what their course load is going to be like for the next four years to prepare them for what happens after high school. As a freshman, could you imagine being an eighth grader for just a moment and someone asking you, what do you want to do with you when you grow up? And be careful because what you tell me right now is going to affect the next four years of your life and beyond. Is that intimidating? Maybe a little bit. I don't know what Central Harden would do, and this is no, nothing negative to Central Harden, but I'm not sure what they would do with Taco Maker. I'm sure something in the culinary arts are, are taking them over to EC3, but we do this. We teach our kids to plan to be successful, handle your money wisely. And with all of this, we kind of unintentionally teach our kids that the way the world defines success is what success actually is. Because if we really think about it for just a moment, success defined by the world is that you are independent, that you can do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it, because you have the money and the power to do so. That's, how we, that's what the world says success is today. Do you agree? And sometimes, unintentionally, we affirm that idea. We teach them that they need to rely on themselves, that, a, that success only happens because you work hard, because you put the time in, because you do everything that needs to be done. And we teach them that worldly success is the most important thing in your life right now. You can worry about all those other things like having a kid, or excuse me, let's do it in order, getting married, having children, or anything like that. That can go on the back burner until you've done your education, You've, you've gotten the job that you want, that you're on the track that you want. Wait for all, everything else until you can say you're on the path to success. James, in our passage today, is addressing that very mindset and challenging it from a spiritual sense and challenging it with the teachings of Jesus that he is going to bring to light to us, especially as it relates to this fence rider mentality that we've already heard about in this chapter. So if you remember from last week, he was, he was addressing these people that, that wanted to have friendship with the world and friendship with God at the same time. 
They wanted the things that the world had to offer, the desires of the flesh, but also to still be in a good place and in good favor with God. That they wanted two things that, that James points out is mutually exclusive. And what we see in our passage today is what that actually looked like even in the early church. And I dare say it's what it looks like today. See, even today as we are here, there is a desire in us to say we want to follow the Lord with all of our heart, but we want to be successful by the world's standards. And while there can be some overlap to those things, to be sure, we have to remember that one of those things is going to win out in our decisions eventually. There is going to come a point in your life where you are going to have to decide, am I going to be successful? Am I going to pursue the things that the world has to offer and and move my decisions and move my actions that direction? Or am I going to be faithful to God and what He has commanded me to do according to the Scriptures? And Paul is challenging within this group today that we need to recognize the desires of our flesh even in our decisions and our actions today. So how does James communicate this to the early church? And the first thing he points out to the church is, is the arrogance of excluding God in your life plan. See, if we look again at verse 13, it says, Come now. This is where he's kind of drawing it out. He's saying like, hey, listen up. Come now. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. James is giving an example to the church of undoubtedly something the church actually said. There were people in this church at this time that that was their conversation. They had probably gone through things. They'd made a profession of faith. Maybe there is a lull in the persecution. James is is writing predominantly to the church that's been kind of dispersed out. And so they're in other places and other cities and they've gone to those places and maybe where they're at, there's not that same persecution that James had experienced in Jerusalem. And because of that lessening of the persecution, they began to start thinking, okay, we've been here for a while, things are going well, hey, I've got an idea of how we can really make some money. And so they're saying these things. And James is not, this is not a hypothetical for James. He says, this is something that that you guys are actually saying. Now, what James is not saying, what not talking about as he is addressing this, is that it's wrong to make a plan. He's not saying that just the very fact that you would say, hey, I think I want to do this and then do this and do this is bad. That's not what he's saying at all. In fact, the scriptures say, Proverbs 20.18 says, prepare plans by consultation and make war by wise guidance. See, planning has always been a sign of wisdom from the Lord. However, James is pointing out that their plans exclude any consideration of God and what He may want for their lives. There is no thought to the commands of God. There is no thought to where God might be leading them. There is no consideration of the things of the Lord in their planning. And God equates this with boastfulness and with arrogance. And guys, it is so easy for us to do this. 
all of us, myself included, can be, can be lulled into this, this idea and in this mindset where we begin to make important life decisions and, and set our lives on courses without giving any consideration to God and what He is calling us to do. We get an idea of what our future should and could look like, sometimes because we are comparing ourselves to other people. We get that mentality of, well, so-and-so, they went to school, and they got good grades, and they got this scholarship, and they went here, and they took these classes, and, 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 they did, and then they did internships, and because they did internships, they landed a job, and because they got a job, they were able to really do this and that, and, and I want that for me too. Or change out the pieces in any way, shape, or form. They really like this field. They really liked, we'll say, plumbing. And so they did plumbing at EC3 that led to an a apprenticeship that allowed them to, excuse me, <coughs> allowed them to, um, <coughs> ooh, Laney, go get me a bottle of water. <coughs> Please, I'm not going to make it. <coughs> that led them to an apprenticeship and going to school and then they became a master plumber and then they started their own plumbing shop and now they're doing very well and I want that for me. Both good, right? But we get a plan in our head. We begin to figure out what steps it takes to make that plan. You heard me already do that. Go to school, go to college, go to tech school, become an apprentice, do an internship. Notice how close they are. Get this career, get that career, ascend the ladder, get your own shop, whatever it might be. We plan it all out. We put ourselves on a timeline and we figure out that, that if I just follow these steps that I'll be successful. And you know what happens with that? Often we get tunnel vision. And all the other things of life fall by the wayside. And they become something that, that we'll get around to. And they, they get put on the back burner and they'll deal with those things when the time comes. And what is the most dangerous thing about that is that includes our life with Christ. And suddenly our important things like our time in the Word, our fellowship with other believers, our growth in Christ, our serving in the church, and, and everything that relates to that suddenly become not that important or something that we will do and that we will get around to at some other time in the past. And probably all of us have done that from time to time. Thank you. You were in Starbucks. And I think Jesus would address us the same way that he did the Pharisees when they kind of fell into that trap. In Matthew 20, 23, 23, we read these words. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe your mint and dill and your cumin, and you have neglected the weightier things of, of the law and justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. And I think when we think about our life goals and our life plans from time to time, we, we tend to get focused or hyper-focused or obsessed in certain areas of our career or, or, or the things of this world. And then what we end up doing is we end up neglecting our walk with the Lord with this idea that we'll get that, we'll get around to it. It'll happen sometime. And what Jesus would say to us, like he said to the Pharisees is, listen, it's good that you want to have a career. 
It's good that you want to be successful. It's good that you want to take care of yourself and your family. These are good intentions, but do not neglect the more important things of your life with Jesus and your walk with Jesus and your obedience to Jesus and what He's calling you to do as a part of the kingdom of God for these worldly things. And we can kind of understand why. Jesus Himself explains this this idea in, in the midst of the passage. He says, For you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. See, there's a temptation for us to get so focused on the things of this world. And we push everything to the side and put everything on the back burner, back burner and we get tunnel vision and we focus on the things of this world. And James reminds us here that the things of this world don't last. And you may have a career, but one day you will die. And sometimes your job posting will hit the paper just as fast as your obituary. You may own your own business. And that's all well and good. But one day you will hand that business off to someone else. And it might be a kid. It might also be a stranger. We can amass a lot of wealth and turn a big profit. But one day that will go on to people who did not earn it. And undoubtedly they will spend it until it is gone. See, the things of this world that sometimes we become so obsessed over will not exist a hundred years from now. But your soul will. And the souls of the people that you come into contact with on a daily basis will also. And if you are going to invest in something that you truly want to last forever, you need to invest in people. And you need to invest in your walk with the Lord. Because those are the things that will endure. Those are the things that go on until eternity. This leads us to the question, what should we do? Look at verse 15. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. He adds to kind of this plan that the people had clearly been making, if the Lord wills, or as Miss Ruth, who we're so glad to see again, would say, if the good Lord wills and the creek don't rise. But I want you to understand that this is more than just a simple add-on to our plan in order to appear more spiritual. I'm not saying that's what Ruth did. I'm just saying that's what we should not do. And, and it doesn't mean that we still do what we want to do and say what we want today and, and have the same obsession and have the same, uh, same tunnel vision. But if we just tag on there, well, if the Lord wills then we've covered our bases. and God has never been interested in that superficial, fake kind of faith. What He is talking about is the full-on surrender of your life and my life to the will of God. In these words, we see the very teachings of Jesus in the Lord's Prayer where He says in Matthew 6.10, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
By the contrast of the one who gives no consideration to God or the things of God, this statement means that all of our plans are handed over to the Lord in total surrender. And that we are called to trust Him to guide and direct our steps to seek Him first and His kingdom first and His righteousness first, as He says in Matthew 6, 33. Proverbs 16, 3 says it this way. It says, Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. It is when we surrender all that we do, our works, our plans, our lives to God, and we trust Him to guide us in every way, shape, and form that we will go the way that we ought to go. See, it's more than just saying a few words. Well, if the Lord wills, I'll do this. It's approaching God and saying, My life is yours. And I want to be where you want me to be, and I want to do what you want me to do. I want to have an impact for the kingdom and I want to glorify your name and I want to do that in my relationships and I want to do that in my career and I want to do that while I'm getting my education and I want to do that in my neighborhood, in my community. I want the people who come into contact with me in every way that you foreordain, every way that you you pre-knowledge know, every single way, every divine encounter, I want to draw them closer to you. And so, whatever that looks like, God, whatever career that looks like, whatever friends that looks like, whatever schooling that looks like, whatever groups I'm a part of, whatever that looks like, it's yours. Have your way, Lord. We surrender our works to God. We commit everything to the Lord. And we let Him have His way. James goes on to say that if we do not do these things, that, that our boastful arrogance is evil and that we end up doing things that, not doing the things that we have truly been called to do. And when we fail to do the things we have been called to do, that that is sin. I hear in circles today, we speak of what is called the great omission. And that is just the fact, and I'm going to get to it a little bit further here in a moment that there are things that the church knows it ought to be doing and they just don't do it. This leaves us with one last very big question. How do we know if the Lord is willing us to do one thing or another? How do we know? If it says what you ought to say, if the Lord wills, he will, we will live and also do this or that. Well, how do we know? Well, as we mentioned during the baptism today, most of us hope that God will reveal His will to us in some way that maybe we've seen in Scripture. God used angels, burning bushes, talking donkeys, dreams. He allowed the people to speak directly. In fact, we would be happy, I'm sure most of us would be happy with even some nice gentle breeze to pass by and just tell us what are we supposed to do. And while I do believe that God still does those things, and as we heard this morning, sometimes God will put that giant neon sign in front of us that says, yes, do this. I think for the most part, God is guiding and directing us in ways that we can actually see, but are much more subtle. See, one of the problems with, with this hoping for signs and wonders to direct our paths is we get, we find ourselves stuck in neutral because of it. 
And, and we, we want God to show us maybe what career we're supposed to take or what ministry we're supposed to be involved in or how we're supposed to serve in the church or even what church we're supposed to go to. And so we want some sign and wonder from God. And when we don't get those signs and wonders from God, we just stay in neutral. And we don't serve in the church. We don't get connected to a church. We don't pick a career. We don't move out of, uh, of one stage of life to the other because we're wanting this, this moment, these angels singing and, and the heavens opening up and, and, and birds, I don't know, look like a Disney movie. I don't know what you're, what you have envisioned for your miraculous sign. And it doesn't happen. And so we stay in neutral and we stay in neutral. And then one day we find ourselves anxious, maybe bitter feeling like life has passed us by and wondering if, if maybe we missed it and God did tell us what to do and we just didn't see it. But I want to say to you today that I really think that the Bible does reveal several ways that we can seek the will of God beyond just the signs and wonders and miraculous things. First, we can pray. I think this is implied even in James' statement when he says, if the Lord wills. We should turn the statement, I'm going to go to this city for a year, I'm going to conduct business, and I'm going to turn a profit, and we turn that into a prayer that says, my God in heaven, if it is your will, I'm going to go to this place, and I'm going to, turn a pro- I'm going to work, and I'm going to, to try to make some money. But I surrender it to your hands. And if there's any reason that you don't want me to go or there's anything that that I'm not supposed to do, I pray that you would put that on my heart and that you would show me that. We go to the Lord and simply ask Him to direct our path. And we make our decisions. And we're receptive to when He says no. And God does say no. See, in Matthew 26, verse 39, we see these words from Jesus in a garden called Gethsemane. And it says, And he went a little bit beyond them, being his disciples, and and Jesus fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. See, Jesus had what he wanted to do. He wanted to not be crucified. And he, went to the, and he went to his father and he said, God, if there's any other way, then I want you to show that to me. If there's any way this cup from pass, can pass by, but I want your will to be done first. And after seeing his disciples falling asleep three times, he knew that he was going to be betrayed and be crucified. And he surrendered to God's will. We, like Christ, can go to our Father and say, God, this is what I think, or or, God, would you please direct my path? Would you please help me with this decision? And then allow God to work in the ways that only He can. Make a decision, but allow Him to do His will. The second thing we can do is we can obey God's will as it is revealed in Scripture. There are certain things that we know are God's will for us. And that's, that's an important thing to remember. So you may not know God's individual will for your life. You may not know that. 
And so you're wanting like, God, what? please tell me, left, right, up, down, blue, green, please tell me what. And you may not know those things, but you know there are some things that you can know are God's will for your life. And because you know they are God's will for your life, you should, I don't know, do them. We call these things commandments. We tend to emphasize these things in two commandments in our, or two categories in our church. And the first one we call the greatest commandments, and the second one we call the great commission. If there's one thing I know God's will is for you, is that He wants you to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And I know He wants you to love your neighbor as yourself. I know that that is God's will for you right now. Do you disagree? If you know that's God's will for your will for you right now, do that. If you know that God's will for you right now is that you love Him with all of your being and that you love your neighbor as yourself, start there. And if you start there, let God fill in the details. Along with that, we have the great commission as opposed to the great omission. And we know that it's God's will that we go out into the, wor- into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded us because He is with us always even to the end of the age. We know that's His desire for us. We know that's His will. His will for you is that you go make disciples. We know this. Do it. And let God, and let God fill in the details as you go. We see this affirmed throughout Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So if you're wanting to know, what is, what is God's will for me? God's will for you is to be more like Jesus. Do that, He'll fill in the details. He wants you to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And He wants you to love your neighbors yourself because that's what Jesus did. Be like Jesus. Start there. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. What is God's will? God's will is that no man would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Well, that sounds like the Great Commission, doesn't it? That's God's will. God's will for your life is that you would not perish, but come to repentance through saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's His will for your life. Guess what? That's His will for everyone's life in this room, and everybody's life out there, and out there, and out there. That's His will. Go do it. Do it for you. Do it for those people. God's will for your life right now, if you are far from God and you have not made a profession of faith, is that you would believe in Jesus Christ. That you would repent and make Jesus the Lord of your life. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. That is God's will for your life. Will you believe? Will you repent and make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Will you go tell other people this same good news? The last thing I would say in the midst of all this is we seek godly people to help us make those decisions. Proverbs 11.14 says this, Where there is no guidance in the people, the people will fall. But in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. 
But I want you to, to take special note of, of something that I said that I want you to seek the guidance of godly people. People that also seek the Lord, that want to know the Lord, that are going to seek the will of God with you. And I say that because I am amazed at how often I talk with people and they are making major life decisions about love, work, family, who begin to bring up the advice they've got from people who are so far from God and have no desire to glorify God with their life, and yet they are considering their advice. Jesus had a word for that. He called it blind leading the blind. And I am always astounded. I was talking with someone, it's been a while now, and they were talking about relationship advice, and they were telling me all the, the relationship advice that they'd been gotten. And I was like, well, tell me. So you mentioned this guy. Tell me about this person. Do they, do they love the Lord? Do their, do their relationships reflect a love for God? They go, not really. And I go, how come? And it's like, well, they've been married three times, and they're living with a girl right now that's not, not uh, their wife, and, and they don't even know if they're ever going to get married. I'm like, why would you listen to their advice? What about this person? Well, this person's never had a successful relationship. He's been single forever, and, and every relationship he's ever had has ended with her calling him crazy. And I was like, why would you listen to him, his advice? And I began to say, you know so-and-so, right? Yeah. That person's been married for 20 years to the same person. Go talk to them. You know so-and-so, right? Yeah. Their marriage went through a ton of stuff, and their marriage is stronger now than it's ever been before. Why don't you go talk to them? You know so-and-so, right? Yeah, I know them. They've gone through, they've, they, they are right in the exact same position you are, but they are doing everything the way the Bible tells them to. Go talk to them. See, godly advice, seeking godly counsel from godly people is an amazingly wonderful thing that we have. As you look around this room, there is probably nothing that you are going through or you have gone through that someone else in this room has at the very least gone through something similar. Have you lost a loved one? There's people in this room that can relate. Have you gone through a, a, an ugly divorce? There are people in this room that can relate. Have you had major sickness in your family that, that, that you, your family had to go through for a long period of time? There are people in this room that can relate. Have you had an unplanned pregnancy? There are people in this room that can relate. God has blessed us with the church. And He's blessed us with the church so that we can come to each other. And when we go through hard times, when we have hard choices to make, there are people in this room right now that know, at least have an idea what you're going through, who love you and want to see you walk with the Lord through that. And you know what? They'll probably walk with you. See, we talk about the will of God. Like it's some mysterious path that we might just stumble upon if we say the right things or do the right things or, or have the right perceptive, perception. But we can do the will of God when we open up the Word. When we see the things that God has clearly commanded us to do, we faithfully go to Him in prayer for guidance and then we seek out godly people who can give us godly advice on how to do the will of God. You have not been left alone to figure out a mystery. But God is with you. 
He has given you His Word, and He has given you the church. And He is calling you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. So here's my challenge for you today. First off, if you are wanting to do the will of God, but you have not surrendered yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you have not made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, we have to start there. And I would challenge you today that the first act of surrender for you is to say, Lord, here is my life. I am a sinner. I cannot do your will on my own, but I need Jesus to save me from my sin and to come into my life and surrender your life to Christ for the, and be saved for the first time. To be saved. If you're here today and, and you recognize even in your life, you're still going through life and you're doing it on your own. You're like the people that he describes that are, it just says, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And you really don't give God much thought until you walk in the door on Sunday morning. I want to challenge you today. What, how would your life look different if you fully surrendered yourself to God? And I want you to do that. I want you to take everything that you've been working towards, whatever steps you've been pursuing, whatever things that you've been prioritizing, I want you to go before the Lord and say, God, from now on, this is all yours. And I'm going to commit these things to do. And I'm not going to neglect the things of the Lord in order to achieve the things of this world. That it is no fool the man who gives up what he cannot keep to get what he cannot lose. And so, God, I hand these things over to you. And Lord, I want to do your will in all of these areas of my life so that I might have a closer walk with you. However God is calling you to respond to this message today, we want you to respond. And if that means coming up front and having a conversation with me, I would love to talk to you. If you're ready to give your life to Jesus and you want to talk to me about that, I am ready for that. But however the Lord is calling you to respond today, I invite you to respond. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we recognize that you have a plan and a purpose for your church. And God, that, that you are revealing that through your word and you are showing us in the way that we ought to go. And, and, and God, we don't need to, to try to figure out some sort of mystery by all the clues, Lord. We just need to open up your book and begin to do the things that you have clearly commanded us in that book. And Lord, trust you to fill in the details. My God and my joy, Lord, I pray that we will be a people who has fully surrendered ourselves to you, both our, our, our homes and our, our jobs and our lives and our decisions, Lord, that all of it would be yours. And God, that we would not neglect the eternal things to prioritize the things of this world. Lord, I know that this type of message gets applied to everyone here differently, including myself. But God, I pray that you would reveal how all of us in this room need to repent, especially those that need to surrender their life to Christ today. And Lord, I pray they would do that. And Lord, I pray that you would, would begin to set them on a new course and that they would enjoy life and enjoy life everlasting. God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.